Hey friends, Pastor Andrew here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in on our sermons here at Asheville First Church of the Nazarene. We post these even though they were preached in a specific time at a specific place to a certain community of people, hoping that God still might use them to speak to you wherever you are. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise that we have in Jesus Christ, that we will be with you forever and ever. Um, there is no better promise. There is no deeper desire within our hearts, Heavenly Father, than to be with you. We love you so much, and we thank you for all that you've done uh, to make that promise a reality in our lives. And I ask during this time, as we uh, enter your word, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would move us, Heavenly Father, and that we would see what it means to live into that promise, what it means to follow Jesus, Heavenly Father. And would you just uh, speak to us? You know my limitations. You know the limitations of my mind and my mouth, Lord. And we just ask that your spirit would come into this space and that you would turn these words into the music of the gospel for us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we are closing out Matthew um, for us. It's been a good journey. We started back forever and ever ago in December and uh, the birth of Christ. Remember that season called winter? Yeah. Not too far away. But uh, it's good to be with you. I've, I've really enjoyed Matthew. I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't like to play favorites. And, but it seems like every, every gospel I'm preaching on going through, that's my favorite at the time. So Matthew's been one of my, it's my favorite. Next, next time, it'll, I think Mark, and Mark will be my favorite. So don't believe what I say. Matthew chapter 28, we'll start in verse 16. And we'll be going through verse 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to be to God. Amen. I loved college. I loved college. I um, I went to Trevecca Nazarene University, and, which is one of our denominational schools. If you're not familiar with it, it's in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and I, I had a wonderful experience. It might have been such a good experience because I hated high school so much. I, I just didn't have a good high school experience, and maybe it's the contrast between the two. But I had a wonderful time there. And I, you know, I, I know uh, private Christian institutions, and, and even within our denomination, always aren't the cheapest option. But I'll always be such a strong uh, proponent of it because of the how much it formed me. Um, and, and really that age to 18 to 22, I, I really do believe as entering adulthood is one of the most critical times. And so I, I can't speak highly enough of my time at Trevecca and the way it formed me. Part of it though too was because I went to study the ministry. And so it was deeply forming there to study the ministry there uh, with leaders in the church, men and women who invested time in me and the religion professors there. And, 
And I had, I had a really close relationship to all of them, and many still do to this day. You've, you've heard one of them preach. Steve Hoskins came and preached for me. He's the one mentor there. But I just can't speak highly enough. And now, I remember, though, my senior year, I was really sad because at that point, I just thought, man, these have been the best four years of my life. I don't want it to end. I've grown in such you know, spiritual ways. I've grown in leadership. I had leadership opportunities there. I've, I just don't want to leave. I've had such a good time. Let's just keep this thing going. I'll stay for four more years, right? <laughs> and uh, one, of the, one of the religion professors that really invested in me, his name is Brent McMillan, and uh, he... he uh, he was very kind to me, especially my freshman year. I'd come talk to him, and I was very naive and, and thought I knew everything and didn't, hadn't figured out yet. I, I don't know much. And he put up with a lot of questions and immaturity from me. Uh, but Dr. McMillan, uh, we were talking at church my, about this time, 10 years ago. Ooh, man, that's, that's a scary reality. Uh, about this time, 10 years ago, uh, I was just like, man, I don't want to leave. This, I, this is sad. I'm so sad. And he looked at me and said, no, it's time you go out in the world and do some good. And it kind of caught me by surprise because I wanted to hear him say, no, Andrew, I'd wish you could stay for four more years too, right? <laughs> I, I was like, don't you like me enough that you want me just to stay around forever? And he said, no, it, basically it's time for you to get out of here. He said that because he wasn't there just to show me a good time. He didn't do years and years of study to come teach at that college just to give me an experience. He came to that college. He taught to equip me for the work of the kingdom, right? And so his, his comment to me really has stuck with me. As much as sometimes I daydream about being in that community again and having people, just those relationships, they invested in me for a purpose, and when it came time after those four years, it was time to kick me out of the nest and do what they had been equipping me to do. So if you don't think I'm that equipped, you can blame them. But <laughs> this is what we're seeing in the story in the Great Commission here at the end of the Gospel in Matthew. We just celebrated that Jesus had won the victory over sin, evil, and death, and he's been raised from the dead, and now he's back, and the disciples can't believe it, and it'd be so easy just to say, Jesus, let's just keep this thing going. Let's just go hang out. Let's, let's go to Fiji and just celebrate and have a great time, and let's just, and that's not what we see here, right? Jesus is saying a very similar thing that Dr. McMillan said to me, no, it's time to go. Uh, the, the importance of this scripture for the church and for us can hardly be overstated. This is where we get our mission statement as a denomination, and, and really, we're kind of stealing the good stuff here. This should be really the mission statement for every church. Uh, but our mission statement, as stated at the Church of the Nazarene, is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. And so you can see clearly how it is directly from here. Uh, but really, as you, you look at this scripture, it is just jam-packed. Every sentence has something powerful for us and for living the Christian life. Uh, and so I want, I want to stick closely to the text. But I really am going to ask us the question. This is such a familiar passage with most of us. We know the Great Commission, but I really want us to consider what are the underlying reasons? Why are we commissioned? Um, and when we know why, it informs the mission and in going forward. But let's look at it. We, we open the text 
in verse 16, and we see the disciples are meeting Jesus on a mountaintop in Galilee. We're not specifically told which mountain, but I'm just highlighting this because all the important things have happened on mountaintops. And in in Jewish mind of this time, uh, mountains are just important places where you're closer to God. And so you can think of Mount Sinai, but the transfiguration happened on a mountaintop. The Sermon on the Mount happened on a mountaintop. These very important things that draw them closer to who Jesus is and who God is happen on a mountaintop. When Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, it is on the Mount of Olives. Um, And so we should see that, and that that detail is going to come into play later as we talk. But we see they fall down and immediately start worshiping him. That's a big clue for us to say, okay, they realize who Jesus is clearly. They uh, understand now perfectly that Jesus is God in the flesh. For the Jewish mindset, you are very careful never to worship anything or anyone other than God, God's self. And so for them now to be bowing down and worshiping Christ is their proclamation that you are a part of God and you are God in the flesh. And, uh, and so they may not have had a full Trinitarian theology built out yet, but they knew immediately after that it is right to worship you for you are God, you are the Messiah. And so that, that's important for us to realize. But also, what does the text say immediately? Some doubted. We're not talking about the big group of disciples here. We're not talking about a large crowd. We're talking about the 11, right? We got rid of the bad one, the bad egg. We threw him out. He's done with. So this 11, this is the core group that the church is radically going to be built on top of, these 11. And not only that, they're actually seeing Jesus in the flesh. They saw him get crucified, and now they're seeing him again, and yet some are doubting. Ah, it's frustrating, right? Here's why I think this is important for us to pay attention to now. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, okay, hold on. We can't go any further until we pick out the doubters. Thomas and a few others, get out of here. Hit the road. I'm not going to commission you. You're doubting, right? He, he didn't make him feel bad. What I want us to see, I mean, no one wants to doubt. Doubting doesn't feel great. But oftentimes, periods of doubting are a part of the life of faith. In fact, what I want to say to us is that if your faith hasn't encountered and gone through periods of doubting, well, let me just say it this way positively. Faith is stronger when we go through periods of doubting and we come out the other side stronger for it. Love is stronger when you go through difficulty. Faith is stronger when we go through doubt. And sometimes in the church, we want to act like we never, ever have had any doubts. We want to act like we never doubt in different things. And I think that's disingenuous. And what that does and why that's a problem is that if there's some people in the church that they're odd as to say we're having doubts. They feel like they need to leave the church or they're not good enough and they end up falling away from Christ because they went through a period of doubting. And we need to be honest and say a period of doubting doesn't mean it's not the opposite of faith. It's not the opposite of being a Christian. In fact, what we see are some of the 11 disciples in a much better position than we are 2,000 years later still had some doubts. Now, we're going to see those doubts uh, wash away. We, uh, the church tradition holds that every one of the uh, apostles here 
would die for their witness to Jesus Christ. So they don't stay in their doubts, and we should never stay in our doubts. Um, but what I'm saying is we need to be a church community that we're not, we don't clutch our pearls if someone says, I'm struggling with some doubt, or sometimes I struggle with doubt. Um, we should encourage them and, and pray for them and, and be willing to talk with them about that and just support them, right? Uh, because we all will go through periods of doubt, but I believe that the Spirit leads us through those to, to strengthen our faith, right? And so all of us sitting in this room have had some periods of doubt, and that's okay, right? And we depend on the faith. What, what you don't do in doubt is run away. You don't give up. You persevere, because the reality is doubt's not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is disobedience. The opposite of faith, according to the Gospel of Matthew, is not doing what Jesus taught, right? And so if you're struggling with some doubt, keep persevering. Keep following Christ. Keep, and know you're in good company and that the Spirit can lead you through that and you'll be stronger for it, right? Um, and so if you're one that doesn't struggle often, then count that as a blessing. Don't look down on others, all right? So here in the leaven, we see some of them are even doubting as they are worshiping Christ. Um, it's hard for us to believe, but I, I believe it's a good witness for us as the church uh, thousands of years later. Uh, and then Christ comes before them, and, and he accepts them as they are, and, and he says a statement. And this is one of the most important Christological statements uh, in the entire gospel. Let me just stop. Last week, I really tried not to use any church language. This week, unfortunately, I'm using some church language, but stick with me. Uh, Christological is one of those 25-cent words. Um, he says this. This is really important for us to uh, capture for the gospel of Matthew. All authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, all authority, both up there and down here. I have control. I am an authority. I am Lord of all. Something has changed in the resurrection. We talked about last week, he won the victory of sin, evil, and death. Now you might say, well, where was the power before that? Who had authority before that? And some of us might want to say, well, the devil had authority before then. That's not scriptural. What Jesus is saying here is that the Father has now entrusted all authority to him. Why? Because he was faithful even to death on a cross, Paul would say. That he came and he was faithful. What was he faithful about? I want us to be clear on this. What he was faithful about, that he truly represented God the Father. You notice all through the Gospels, he's saying, if you're seeing me, you're seeing the Father. And so I want us to take seriously that now all authority has been given to him because he was faithful to represent God the Father, that he showed that the heart of God was selfless love, was a servant life, was living and pouring out for others. That's who God the Father is. And since Jesus lived that out, since Jesus went to the cross to show that and to enact that for us, since he had won the victory over sin, evil, and death, now God the Father has given him all authority over heaven and earth. Are you tracking with me? It's a very important shift. I think we should dwell on that as Christians. For those of us who have united ourselves with Christ, I think that's a big, right? 
that we get to rest, that we get to be in and have a relationship with a person that holds all authority. I can't say that enough, friends. Sometimes we're running around like chicken little, and if we just remember this one or phrase, Christ holds all authority in heaven and on earth, and he's my Lord, right? We need to remember that when the powers of evil and sin seem so strong around us and we're tempted just to be afraid and shiver in our closets. No, that's not what it means to follow Christ because he holds all authority and all power because he was faithful to represent God the Father. Now, Paul puts it this way. If, if I want to go into, I won't go. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he kind of talks about this uh, in more detail. And let me just say this. You say, how is this going to work out? Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that all power has been given to Christ so that he will bring all enemies under his feet, right? And so that's what we believe happened on the cross. But Paul's saying he's going to hold all authority and power until the last enemy of death is put under his feet. Basically, when, until the age, this age has come to an end, until death itself is thrown away with, Jesus Christ holds all the power. When this age ends and we go into the new age, right, and we're going to be talking about that just a little bit, what Paul says is then Jesus will hand back the authority to God the Father. And why is that important for Paul to say? Because then he says God will be all in all. Usually we just know that, that verse, God will be all in all, and we realize this is what he's talking about, this exchange of power. And so Jesus then will place the kingdom in the Father's hands and said, now I have completed. Now everything is under your rule, and you will give it back to God. You say, but why is that important, Pastor? I don't care how it happens. And you just, God. I, I, I like that because it's... God and God's self and, and Jesus and the Father, it's never about this is mine. They're handing power back to each other in a way of love and giving, right? And, and so it's, it's a completely different understanding of all authority and power than we see around. Please don't equate it with the rulers of this world because it looks nothing like that. And I know that's the picture of power that's on our television all the time, but it's not that. What the power of God the Father looks like in Jesus Christ is him hanging on the cross out of love for us. It is the exact opposite of power and authority in this world. Am I being clear? Right? And so Jesus holds all the power and authority. And he doesn't stop there, though. That's the foundation, therefore. Therefore, since I have all authority and power on heaven and earth, therefore, I'm commissioning you. Therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Since I have all authority and power, right? Go, therefore. All right, let's look at this a little bit. What's important to notice is he doesn't say, go and make sure everybody knows my name, right? He says, what, go and, and make disciples disciples. I, we don't have to do a big word study just to think about what is a disciple? Someone that is following their master and trying to imitate them, to live in their way. A disciple would, was like an apprentice learning how to live from that person in order to enact that in their lives, right? So when we are following Jesus, we are wanting to be like him. We are forming our lives to imitate him. That's why we 
talk about Christ's likeness. That's the heart of sanctification and holiness. Make disciples, right? That is key. We're not just making converts. We're not just spreading religion. We are making disciples. That is critical, and we're going to see how we do that. But also the other critical piece is all nations. Go make disciples of all nations. This was a huge shift for Israel uh, and, and for even the disciples, because even in the Gospels, when Jesus is starting the mission, he's really saying, hey, let's go throughout Israel. We need to tell Israel the Messiah is here. And now he says, go to all nations. Go everywhere. And what we see is that from the very beginning, as we talk about, God has always wanted to be God for all people. He's always wanted to have a relationship with everyone. And now Jesus' command is, this is what I came for so that all people may have a relationship through God. All people might be free from the power of sin, evil, and death. So go out to all nations. We need to remember that as a church, that we're not looking at geographic areas. We're not looking at country borders. We are looking, our mission, our calling is for all nations. And sometimes we hear that and we still say, well, yeah, we're up here and, and there are the nations down there. If you ever want to do that, if anybody has any right to do that in Scripture, it's we're Israel and the nations are down here. That's still a wrong way to look at it. That's what got them in trouble. Pay attention, church. Sometimes we in America say, well, we're, we're the ones sending the disciples. We're the ones with the money and everyone else. We need just to tell them about the gospel. No, it is equal. God shows no favoritism. And so the church must be a global church with no distinction. I got a lot of energy this morning. I'm kind of like staying at level 9 or 10 this morning. I'm not really coming down, am I? This is, this is an action-packed five verses, friends. I, I'm excited about it. But I'll try to come down. I know. It's, it's hard to stay at a 9 or 10 for a congregation. It's easy for me to stay up there. I'll just keep belting it out, right? Um, there's no distinction. And, and I think we have to work so, so hard to get rid of the distinctions that our world is trying to place on us because God, the, the kingdom is coming to make no distinctions among people. No matter what language they speak, no, what, no matter what skin color they are, God loves them all. Christ died for them all. And so now our mission is for all nations. This is why I love being a part of a denomination. And I'm not trying to pick on churches, but I, this is why I love being a part of a global denomination because we live this. We are this. We're not just some local community church based in an area that everyone looks like us and is like us. When you go to our national, our, our general assembly, it, I mean, we have translators everywhere. It is a sign of the kingdom because there's every nation and tribe and tongue there, right? And we are equals. We vote together. We think together. We pray together. That is what we are about. That is the kingdom of God, and that's why Christ came. So that's, that's got to be in our heart, friends. That, that's that's got to be our passion, you know, I, I love, you know, we, we do need to pray for our country, but sometimes I just feel the way people talk about that. It's like we need to pray for our country because our country needs to be better or is better. And friends, God's vision is not based on a country. It's based on all people. So pray for our country. But pray, for the, pray for the kingdom to advance to all peoples and realize that we are the same as everyone else. We are just co-laborers in the kingdom. All right, moving on. So go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. All right, Jesus, how are we going to do this? 
He keeps it simple. That's why I just love this passage. He just keeps it so simple. He, said, he tells us just to do two things. We can do two things, right, friends? I can do two things. If Rebecca leaves for the day and says, I got two things for you to do, I'm like, oh, good, I got two things. I, that, I can get those done easy peasy, right? Two things. All right, how do we do this? How do we make disciples? The first, what does he say? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I could stay at a level nine or 10 and go into a deep, baptismal theology, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but I, I will say to this, what, what do we believe about baptism? It is uniting with Christ in faith, right? And that, that is what this first part is about. It is about us uniting ourselves with Christ. We're saying yes to Christ by choosing Christ and uniting ourselves with Christ. What we believe in baptism is that we are go under the water and the death of Christ and we are raised to new life in Christ, right? Pretty simple. So it is about joining ourselves with Christ, saying yes to Jesus. Often in the church, though, often in Protestant churches, though, we've tried to separate the ritual from the faith. And we say, ah, who cares about a ritual? We, we just want really the faith. My friends, if we're going to follow the words of Jesus, Jesus didn't say, well, kind of do this water thing, but really what's important? No. He said, number one, how you do this is you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not trying to be, I know there's a denomination or two that just think that you better run up here and get baptized immediately. I, I'm not trying to do that. But I'm just trying to say, friends, the faith following Christ, we enact rituals. And sometimes, I don't know why, and maybe it's because, you know, how we grew up we're, we're, and act, you know, I don't know. But sometimes we're uncomfortable with rituals. And the fact is, rituals form and shape us in powerful ways, and Christ knew that. And so when he said, make disciples, he told us how to do it. And one of them is a ritual, that you must be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I, I just don't, there's no way around it. If you're uncomfortable, I'm sorry with ritual, but it's a part of the faith. And so number one is we baptize. We must baptize. Yes, it's about faith. It's not just about an action that saves you. It's about uniting with Christ, and that is an interior disposition. Um, but if I'm following the words of Christ, I'm following the words of Christ, right? And so we, we need to be baptized. You know, I, I'm not a stickler for, I'm just, I'm a stickler for be baptized. Unite yourself with Christ in front of the church community, um, and that's what we're called to do. I, you, you were here, you, I baptized my son, Desmond. Um, I know maybe some of us aren't used to infant baptism. We've always practiced uh, infant baptism. And, and that's really just saying that Desmond's going to have to make the choice to live into that baptism, but that we are making that choice for him that he's going to be raised in the Lord, right? He's going to be raised in the Lord, and he's going to have to decide to live into that, but that's how strongly I, we believe about baptism. Uh, so we baptize. We, we tell people about Jesus. We introduce them to Jesus, and we baptize them, all right? Unite them in faith. Number two, though, we don't just baptize and we don't just unite them with Christ. Number two, the second thing we have to do is to teach them. That's the second verb there. We teach them. And this is where the Sermon on the Mount really comes important. We think of the two mounts. They're on the mount, and the Sermon on the Mount was the big thrust of Jesus' teaching. That we teach them, what does Jesus say? To obey all of his commandments. All of his commandments. And we are Nazarenes. You know, I don't need to stay at a 9 or 10 to tell us this, but if we've come through another tradition, this is why we're so passionate about obeying Christ. 
And I think some of us may need to hear, friends, there, there's no faith that saves without obedience. There, there's no faith that saves without putting the commandments of Christ into practice. Do you hear me? Sometimes I hear things that, as a pastor, and I, I worry that people really aren't listening. They hear what they want to hear. If you're not, I, sometimes we struggle. But if you are actively not putting in the main things Christ talked about into practice in your life, friend, there's a problem. So that what it means to be a disciple is that we are obeying and putting into practice the things of Jesus Christ. That we teach others. That is how we make disciples. We say, here's what Christ taught. He was God in the flesh, and we need to follow him. And we don't, it is not just about strict obedience. It's about the best way to live. That he is showing us how to have life, and we're going to talk about that. But that's the second aspect. Baptize, number one. Number two is to teach. That is how we make disciples. It's not complicated. But why? I, I know many of us are church people, and so we just assume we, we, we know why. But let's just ask why, right? Because this is going to get to the heart of the matter. Why does Jesus commission us? Why, why send us out? Why go make other disciples? Sometimes I want to ask this question, why? Because sometimes we view it as uh, escapism. We go, we do the Great Commission so that everyone knows um, to get their ticket to heaven. Sometimes we treat the Great Commission like handing out tickets to a great show or a great concert that you don't want to miss, right? So we just got to hand out our tickets. And the way we explain it then is that if you just behave enough, if number one, you believe enough, and then you behave enough, then you can have this ticket and it'll get you to heaven, right? That's escapism. That, that, that's, that's just waiting to get to heaven. And the problem with that is, I won't go into it all, but it's really based more in Greek philosophy and Plato and some of the, even the pagan religions, that really the, the hope of Israel was never, I mean, read, read the Old Testament. The old, it was never about beam me up, God. We're ready to get out of here, God. No, it was, God, we want to be in the promised land. God, we want to have your righteousness. In Jesus' time, they're saying, we want the kingdom to come. Now, they misunderstood how the kingdom was coming, but the faith of Israel, God's call to the people, was always about what was happening here, right? And so when we say, sometimes in the church, well, we, we're just getting, we just can't wait to get out of here. We're not really talking about the faith of Israel and the God of Israel, right? What we talked about last week, when we talked about the story of Easter, we talked about God made this earth and it's good, it's good, and he cares what is happening here. Don't, don't misunderstand me, folks. There, there's coming something after this world that I do believe we need to be prepared for. But when we are only looking at, boy, I can't wait to get out of here, we are actually fundamentally misunderstanding the why and what we're doing here. That's why it's important to ask this question, why are we going to make disciples? It's not just to hand out tickets to heaven. It's because Christ came to rescue us from the powers of sin, evil, and death, and to set us free so that we might live in his kingdom. 
Basically, when we talk about the kingdom, it really means that we can live as God intended us to, that we can live righteous lives. First, we talked about last week, we had to be free from the power of sin and evil because we couldn't get away from that. Now that we've been set free, we can now really live as God created us to live in his good creation, right? That's what it means for God's kingdom to come down, that I'm now obeying God's reign and rule rather than the cycle of sin, evil, and death here. In essence, what I want to say is Jesus came to start a revolution down here. And that revolution is what we call the kingdom of God. And what Jesus did through his sacrifice, through coming, is freed us so that we can then enter the kingdom of God. But it came for real implications here and now. And when we just treat it like an escapism to get out of here, we're fundamentally misunderstanding it. We're getting like a half of the pie, not even half. We're going somewhere, that's for sure. But God cares about what's happening now. He came to start a revolution. And now, the heart of that revolution is God's unconditional love for us. That God wants to be with us and he doesn't want us to labor under sin and evil. Right? I'm really passionate about this. That the Great Commission is about go spread this revolution that I've started. This way that, that I've shown you, now that I've won the victory, now that I have all authority in heaven and on earth, go spread the revolution of my authority. Do you see the connection? Do you see why Jesus is talking about go therefore? Not just telling people about me, but teach them to live like I've taught you because that's the heart of my revolution. It's kind of like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm really in the thick of parenting, so almost everything I read in the Bible comes back to how I'm parenting Desmond, it seems like. But Rebecca and I have the authority in the household, right? I mean, there's just no question about that. That's the way it is for Jesus. There's no question. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. There's, if you have to believe one thing, that, that's it. But that doesn't mean Desmond always obeys my authority, does it? <laughs> It doesn't mean that sometimes I'm having to say, Desmond, stop, don't do that. It doesn't mean I don't have the authority, but it just means he's not living into that authority. That he's not always doing what is best for him and what I want for him as his father. That's what we're talking about here in the Great Commission. And this is why it's so important to understand the why. The why is because Christ now has all authority. He's defeated the powers of sin, evil, and death. He reigns. And now we need to go spread the revolution to say, oh, you got to listen to the Lord of all. He, he wants the best for you. He loves you so much. It's a different way of living. So we're spreading that revolution, teaching people how to live under the authority of Christ, right? Because if, if that doesn't happen now, then it won't happen. And they will be lost. That they'll be outside of the kingdom. But Christ came, it's not a test just to see who can behave. It's not about that. It's not just a test to see who has strong enough belief. What it is is we are enacting the authority of Jesus Christ as we disciple people and bring them into the kingdom. That God wants the best for the earth. He wants to be with us. And he wants us to live in his authority because it's what's best for us.
Just like I want Desmond to live under my... It's not a, it's not a power trip. It's about love. It's about being with Desmond and, and him not hurting himself and, and being harmed and him being safe. That's what God wants for us. This is the revolution that we are spreading. And like a revolution, right, we should be passionate about other people joining the revolution. We, we believe this is great. We are enjoying it. Oh, man, it's the best way to live. I can testify to that. There's love and peace and joy, and I want people to know that. So we spread the revolution. But friends, hear me. We can't take our eyes off the content of the revolution and just focus on getting other people to sign up, right? And sometimes I worry that the church, our only focus is we just want more and more and more people, and yet we've stopped putting our energy also living the re revolution, right? Maybe we're not doing bad stuff, but we, we've lost our energy to live it out here. We've, we've lost the energy to show what love and servanthood and, and, and joy looks like. And the church sometimes puts all of its energy. Now, sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes we're just a holy club and we don't care who else. So there's an opposite problem that we can, am I making sense? But a revolution that's only about getting more people and it's not about the tenets of the gospel isn't much of a revolution. So we can't take our eyes off what we're really here for. And what we're really here for is to love and to serve and to protect and serve the least of these and do as Christ has commanded us to. That's the heart of the revolution. But then we want more people to join it. And also revolutions don't spread by saying, you know, you're really bad and you really need to get in here, right? Is that how a revolution spreads? I mean, you even think of political revolutions or, you know, you know, cultural revolutions. You don't yell at people to get in here, right? That doesn't work. I like the word revolution because how does it spread? It spreads by attraction. People saying, I want that. There's a quality in that movement and where it's leading. There's a quality in that community that I want for myself. Have you ever thought about, um, I, I think about the recovery groups that meet here. We, we have a recovery group now. One's going to start on Wednesday night. Um, and if you've ever been a part of an A or NA group, you know this, but one of their tenets is that they don't promote. They don't promote at all. Um, there's no, they don't have an advertising budget. They don't put up, they don't promote. Their model, they sp say explicitly, is attractional. It's attractional. That people need what they have, sobriety, right? And friends, I, I come out, I know some of them, I talk to them. There's young people coming out of the woodwork every night to this church to go to those meetings. And sometimes I, I think we forget that we must be attractional, right? And the way that we are living this revolution of God's love through Jesus Christ in our lives, that people should be able to say, I want to be a part of that community. They have something I don't have. I'm not saying we never use words and we tell people, but the whole idea that we guilt people towards Jesus doesn't play out, and it's not the gospel itself, right? That we have to be a community living it out, and then we are passionate also about inviting people in. Hey, you need to be a part of this revolution. We've got a good thing going here, right? It's the best thing going. It's awesome. 
And sometimes we treat it like, hey, if we can just get some people to sit in the pew and pay 10% of their tithe, we're good. No. That's not what it's about, friends. To be honest with you, I really don't care if a, a new carpet color or if laser lights over the sanctuary or coffee in the foyer would bring more people in. That's fine. I'm not here for more people. I'm here for revolution. I'm here to live out the authority of Jesus in my life and in this community and in this church. And yes, I want people to join that revolution, but I'm not going to compromise the message. I'm not going to compromise the, uh, what is in that revolution just to get more people, right? Because we are about something much bigger. And I want people to know, and we need to be passionate about that, but we're about something Earth-changing, life-changing, and that's our message. I think it helps to, to answer that question of why, and this is a beautiful closing to the, the gospel of Matthew and to what Jesus is saying here, that when we look at the end of all things, we can say, oh, okay, that's where we're headed, right? That's what it's about, and that's where we're going. And, and the book of Revelation is beautiful for that. And, and most of us know this passage because it just says it so clearly where we're headed. Revelation chapter 21. This brings it all together. And I think it'll help us understand our commission to go and make disciples of all nations. John in chapter 21, you know it well. He saw this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down. Notice the direction there. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. That's the promised land. That's where we're headed towards. But notice, it's not escapism. It's not, let's forget that earth. It's a new heaven and a new earth. And it's God coming down and living and being with us forever and ever. Do you notice, though, we're not waiting just for someday, are we? Because what does Jesus say as he closes out the gospel? And remember, I am with you even to the end of the age. My friends, what we get to experience in Christ because of the Easter proclamation, we don't have to wait till someday to be with God. We don't have to wait till someday to be free from the power of sin, evil, and death. We get to live in the kingdom with Christ now. It's a daily walk. It's a revolution that we need to be passionate about spreading. But the joy is, yeah, we're headed to a new heaven and a new earth. But Christ's revolution 
is always about bringing heaven down to earth right now. It's about a people that pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and living out that authority. So let's be passionate about the revolution. Let's be passionate about drawing people to this revolution of Jesus. But let's also remember that Christ is with us now. We don't have to wait till someday that we have the peace and the presence of the one who holds all authority in heaven and on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, we can't imagine the cost that it took to bring the kingdom down out of heaven to earth in the presence of Jesus, Lord. But we thank you and praise you that you paid the cost, that you suffered and died on behalf of us so that we might know your presence, we might know your freedom now in the flesh. And so I pray that we would be a part of this revolution, that you would speak to this in this moments of uh, response, that Christ would be present in leading us and speaking to us and forming us through this time of prayer and communion, Lord that we might draw closer to you, that you might show us what the revolution looks like here in Asheville, North Carolina. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So friends, I want you to be a part of this revolution. I want you to unite yourself with Christ. That is God's will for every human on earth, that we would be in a relationship with him. And I hope you've, you've made that decision, that you have said yes to Christ and you have joined the revolution. But if you haven't, Today's a good day to do that. But what we're about to do is communion. We, we partake of the body and the blood. We believe we receive the grace of Jesus. But this is the meal of the revolution, right? This is the heart of it. This is what it's founded on. Not on what we do, not what we can dream up, not what we can build. It is only founded on Jesus and what he has done for us. And so if you've said yes to Christ, come down eat of the bread and drink of the cup and be thankful and remember what Christ has done for us to set us free, but also that his presence is with us. That's what we believe about a time of communion and prayer is that Christ's presence is real for us and we need that presence to live under his authority. I'd invite you to pray at an altar about any burden you might be carrying. I'd be happy to pray with you about anything if you want to be anointed on behalf of someone else. But let's take this time to say, Lord, how do I spread this revolution? How do I live out your authority in my life? But also, how, how can I draw other people to you? Because this is God's will and desire for all, every human. On the night our Lord was betrayed, after giving thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. My friends, will you join me in the revolution of Christ's love for all? If so, come and receive his grace when you're ready. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you care about us, 
that you care about this earth, you care the way people are living, Lord, and you want the best for us. You want us to live in a relationship with you. You want us to be free from the power of sin and how it destroys, Lord. And I thank you that you came out of love for us to set us free, that you came and suffered and died and was raised to new life so that we might know that freedom, Lord. And I pray that we won't just hold that freedom to ourselves, that we won't just be a holy club, Lord, that we won't just enjoy the fruits of holiness and peace and joy, but that we would spread the revolution of your love and your goodness all over. That our vision and our hope is that everyone would acknowledge and live under the authority of Jesus in the entire world, that we might be united in Christ's love, brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe. And might we be tireless in how we work towards that vision. Might we be giving everything about who we are and everything we have to see that vision realized, Lord, following Christ, living this life of, of sanctification and love and holiness out, Heavenly Father, and that people might see Christ in us and be attracted to that. Might we equip people to do the work of disciple-making? Might we be a church that makes disciples, not just converts, not just spreading religion, but that people that commit their lives to Jesus and follow him every day of their lives, Lord? I pray, though, also that you might bring workers into the vineyard, that we might have others to join us in this work so that we can spread the revolution. But Heavenly Father, help the life of our church to be about what Jesus taught. Might we be living it out wonderfully and powerfully in our witness to Jesus' authority through our ministries, Lord, through our worship times, through everything that happens on this property, Heavenly Father, that it might be glorifying to you and to Jesus Christ and that people might be attracted to that and they might know the same love and forgiveness that we have through Jesus, Lord. So help us to be passionate about it. Help us to have the energy for it, Lord, and, and give us your vision. We need you, Heavenly Father. But also, Lord, let us not take for granted that you are with us, that we're not doing this under our own power. We're not doing this under, you are with us, Lord. And let us have that peace. Let us have that assurance and that trust day in and day out that the worries and the fears that the world has would not be our own for that we, the one who holds all the power is with us. And we thank you for that, Heavenly Father. We thank you for that promise and we cling to it now. We lift up those who are hurting or struggling today. We think of James and Allie, Heavenly Father, be with them and strengthen them, encourage them, Lord. We be with, pray for those who are, are struggling physically with sickness or, or physical ailments, Heavenly Father, those with friends with cancer diagnoses, Lord, we, we just lift them up to you and pray that your hand would be upon them, Lord, and that you would intervene in these situations. We lift up those who are going through seasons of doubt, Heavenly Father. May you encourage their faith and lead them through that and strengthen uh, their resolution to follow Christ. May you be with those who are dealing with anxiety or depression or, or perhaps have a division in their families. Lord, might we depend on you and your guidance in these situations. Might we be agents of reconciliation and peace in our families and our communities, Lord, doing the work of your love and your service. Lord, we lift up our, our ministries here. We pray for the preschool ministry and the food pantry and, and the recovery groups that meet here on a weekly basis, Lord. 
May the authority and the love of Christ be present in all of these. May people be drawn to the revolution through these ministries, Heavenly Father. Lord, we lift up our, our spiritual leader, Greg Mason, district superintendent. We thank you for his wisdom and grace and pray that you'd give him more of it every day, Lord, and bless his ministry. We lift up our local and our state and our national leaders, Lord. May we be uh, a country that treats others rightly and that promotes peace and justice wherever we can. And Lord, we lift up the global church as we have this vision for all nations and all peoples, Lord. We pray that the revolution would spread and that all people might know the brotherhood and sisterhood of the family of Christ. That we might, your authority might be realized on earth as it is in heaven. We're passionate about it, Lord. Lead us and equip us for that work. Help us to pray that prayer, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and power and the glory forever. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? You are the disciples. You are the revolutionaries. And so I hope you leave this place today and every day looking at the world in that light. May we spread this movement of Jesus Christ wherever we go. May we be passionate about spreading Christ's love to everyone we meet. And may people see that movement in us. Go in peace. Thanks for listening in today. I hope God continues to speak to you in the days to come and that you find whatever is the next step for you in your life. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website at ashnaz.org or feel free to stop by the church anytime. We'd love to see you. God bless.